Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Captain Crunch was out sailing (laughs) just to see what he could see. And he came across three remote islands. And he thought, wow, I don't think I've ever seen those before. And so he got a little closer and he noticed that there was somebody on the beach of one of them. So he kind of came in a little closer, got in his dinghy and went ashore. And he showed up and it was like, this guy was like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. I've been stranded here for years. He was like, is there anybody else here with you, or is it just you? He's like, no, I've been alone, stranded alone. Wow. He's like, i got some questions for you, though. He's like, I see three huts. What's the first hut for? He's like, oh, well, that's my home. That's where I've lived all this time. I built it, and that's where I live. Like, okay, so what's the second hut for? Well, that's my church. I'm a godly man, and I want to go to church every week. Now he's really confused. He's like, okay, so what's with the third hut? He's like, oh, that. Well, uh, that's the church I used to go to. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's a shame, but it happens. But we're talking about the birth of the church, the first church, and how it all started. And I hope you're kind of enjoying this. It's like, it's been a while since I've gone through this progression in Acts, and it has been such a joy to just to study and to grow and to learn myself and to be reminded of um, the power of God and what he can do. Um, I think we get so distracted and so overwhelmed by life <laughs> that we forget who God is, how God works, and what he can do in a life. And so hopefully as you're kind of interacting with Acts this time through, I hope you're really wanting to meet with the Lord, really wanting to see, okay, yes, I'm part of the church, but what more is there to that than just showing up once a week? So hopefully that will be something that you will kind of connect with. Now, Acts, it's funny, it brings back some interesting memories for me. Um, As you know, we were uh, missionaries with Word of Life for a while, and uh, Jack Wartson was uh, the founder, or one of the founders of that organization. And he, was, he had some very interesting quotes. Uh, the third one, or fourth one, technically will be that one in Acts. But um, he was an evangelist, and so his first quote that he's most well-known for is, I believe it is the responsibility of every generation to reach their generation for Christ. And so you think about that, that's us, right? We are responsible to pass it on, to make sure it doesn't die in our generation. And so it's like that's something that we we definitely need to be doing. Another quote from him was, God is looking for nobodies who will become somebodies in his hands. And if there isn't more truth to that, (laughs) um, I feel like that often. That it's like God changed my life dramatically And I know I've said this many, many times, and I will continue to say it. I know I probably wouldn't be here today if I hadn't become a Christian at some point in my life. I just know it. A third quote uh, that he is known for is, you can't do the will of God 
if you don't know the Word of God. And so it's so important that we not only just understand this, and it's like knowing the Word of God, not just the details, not just the trivia, not just to know like all the little nuances, but to know the Word of God, to, to have that relationship with it, to know that God is personally talking to you and interacting with you and wanting to speak to you is so valuable and so important. And sometimes we can treat the Bible like a textbook. And just like it's a bunch of facts, a bunch of rules, a bunch of ways to live. And it's like that is not who God is and that is not what he wants from us. You know, he went from taking a people and then bringing them in through, through the acts here and making them family. We are God's family, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so that's far more personal. It's far more intimate. And that's, that's the relationship God wants to have with us. And he helps us understand a lot of that through his word. But one of the, the quotes, which is actually scripture, because it goes in tune with his last um, quote there, but it was always Acts 1.8. He quoted that over and over and over and over again. And that's why it kind of reminded me of this. But it's like, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's what he's doing in our work, in our midst, in our body, in our church. He's reaching everywhere. I mean, you think about it. How far are we from Israel? The people who are about to go, no. Compared to them, we're at the end of the earth, aren't we? And so it's like, that's the message that's supposed to be going out. But it wasn't just the apostles that were required. Not required, I don't like that word that much. But given that responsibility, that's for us too. That's for us today as well. Because it's like Jack said, it's our responsibility to pass it on, to communicate. And it's like some of the songs we sang, you know, they'll know we are Christians by our love. We should be living in such a way together that it's different from the world and that it's obvious to the world that something is different about us in a very attractive way, not repulsive way. <laughs> and it's like, there's some of that out there. There are some of that out there. there it's like, wow, you're a Christian? That is repulsive. And uh, that should not be us. I pray to God not. All right, so we're going to be in Acts 5 today, uh, verses 12 through 42. So Get your track shoes on because we are going to be racing through the word today because that's a lot, of, a lot of verses to cover. But we can do it. I am confident you guys can make that happen. Uh, but it's like if you're using the Bibles that are in the chairs there, it's page 1258. 1258, Acts 5, verses 12 to 42. Now there's some stuff going on that we kind of skipped over a little bit uh, from the end of um, chapter 4 and into 5. Um, inside the church, people are uniting, they're selling things, they're coming together, they're sharing. Um, they, they were, it was a different time and place of what was going on, and that was what was happening then. Um, it's not necessarily a model per se, but it's what was happening as the early church started. Um, outside the church, people were being healed, they were honoring the apostles, they were being influenced by their teaching. Things in Jerusalem, they were a changing. And that became a stirring topic within the city, for sure. Uh, but the apostles were about to declare that they were worthy to suffer. And we're not going to get to that 
fully until we get to the end of the text here. But it's like we're going to look at what preceded all of that and what was going on there. And so what preceded that is some interesting topics. But before we get into it, I really want to stop a minute and just let's seek the Lord. I am just convinced that this word of God can change our hearts today. And I want you to be transformed today by it. So pray with me, please. Father, we come into your word now wanting hands wide open, needing you to come in and to to challenge us, to teach us, to train us. But Lord, also to hold us in a way that we can feel confident to walk as believers, to walk in your truth, to stand up for your principles. And Lord, in and of ourselves, we are unable, but with the power of the Holy Spirit involved, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Lord, I ask this morning that I will be completely invisible and that your word will go out with power and with might and challenge hearts and challenge minds to be transformed and more like the image of Christ. We thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We honor you, Lord, at this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so starting in verse 12, chapter 5, verse 12, we're going to look at a notable development, okay, because something happened. So verse 12, it says, And through the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also, a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Catch that. There was a lot going down. A lot was changing. Notable, notable things. And that stirred up some major stuff. Now, miracles, uh, the, the very definition of a miracle is something uncommon, okay? So the fact that miracles are now happening, people are getting healed to the point where, I mean, think about it. Think if you walked through your neighborhood and all of a sudden you saw people coming out to the end of the streets or the end of their driveways, putting people, you know, on mats or whatever, hoping that someone's shadow will come across them. That's what was going on here. Unheard of. Completely different. And so it's like it, there was a stir in the city. And we have to remember that they're coming off of a holiday and coming off of some very common things that would normally happen, but it's different this time. And so sick are brought out to fall in the shadow of Peter for healing. The sick and the tormented are brought into the city. Okay, so now it's not only the city being affected, but now even more people are coming into the city for healing, for change, to be different in a very healthy way. And so then we have unity among the people outside the synagogue, because it says in verse 12, they were all with one accord, which means they were united, they were one. And it's like that is so valuable and so important for a body, that we are all moving in the same direction, that we all have the same message. Not that we're like these cookie-cutter Christians, but we understand God's truth and what needs to happen in this world around us. 
and we're doing the Father's work. And so then outsiders are highly honoring the apostles. Verse 13 there. And that begins to stir some problems. Because there's another group that is used to gaining that, used to getting those accolades, used to getting that attention. And it was turning away from them. Growth is organic. Believers are being added. And um, it's interesting, too, men and women are mentioned. Where in chapter 4, if you remember, when Walt was talking about it, you know, they had just numbered the men and they had just talked about the men. Now all of a sudden women are being included in these numbers and women are being involved in these things. And that is something very, very different than what happened before. Because God is all about his people in totality, not just a subgroup of that. Um, the gospel is spreading geographically. And so it's like we have people coming in from the outside, coming in from other places because they're hearing. Because think about it. If you've got a group of people that are from somewhere else, they come into the city, unbelievable things are happening, but they have to go home as they travel outward and they're talking to other people. They're telling them something's going on in Jerusalem. Healing, miracles, people, things are being happening. So guess what? All these people who have issues that they want to have solved, it's like, we've got to get to Jerusalem. Now, when I was younger, my parents had moved to Galveston Island, Texas. Island living is awesome. Off-season. <laughs> it's like during, you know, when it's summertime and when it's peak season, it's people, 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 traffic, 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 crowds, 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 crime, crime, crime. The island was a buzz all the time, and we used to, like, long for the off-season. And it's like a lot of people that live on Cape or have places on the Cape feel the same way. Which you have a Cape, it's just, yeah, there's one road that goes like this, and it's like everybody's on it. It's nuts. So you have to think about it. You know, there, this was happening in Jerusalem in the sense of, okay, hey, all the holidays are over. Things should be settling down. Things should be kind of quieting down. Life should be getting back to normal because the holidays are over. But that wasn't happening. Something else was going on here. And it brought attention. Uh, there was a development in Jerusalem, and something notable was happening more people in town, miracles, healings, less people in the synagogue. Uh-oh. Less money in the giving plate in the synagogue. Uh-oh. Because they were all buying and selling stuff and giving it to one another to help people out, to keep them there and to grow the church, not the synagogue. Yikes, yikes, yikes. That entails... A very notable disagreement. Okay, so let's continue on here in verse 17. It says, Then the high priest rose up, and all those were with him. Doesn't that sound like it's going to be endearing and joyful? <laughs> it's not. Um, the high priest rose up, and all those that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. Mm-hmm. They were happy. And laid their hands on the apostles, even happier, and put them in common prison. Yikes. But here's the cool part. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors, brought them out, and said, Go, stand in the temple, speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. 
But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in prison, they returned and reported, saying, "Um, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely, tight as a drum. It was locked up nice. In fact, the guards were standing outside before the doors. Uh, But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Awkward. (laughs) There was no one inside. And I lost my place completely. (laughs) There we go. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priests heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. I bet they did. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison, they're standing in the temple teaching the people. I'm sure they were thrilled with that outcome. (laughs) Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence. Oh, something is changing here. Why without violence? For they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they sent them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? They won't even speak the name of Christ. They won't even say the name of Jesus. And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring, again, this man's blood on us. They won't even let his name cross their lips. That's how much indignation was there. But Peter, quiet, solemn, flower, wallflower Peter, But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given those who obey him. So here we see chapter 5, things are escalating. Things are notable. (laughs) At least to me, I don't know, maybe you don't think so, but I think they're notable. And so there is a very notable disagreement here. Now before, when there was an arrest, it was just two, right? It was Peter and John. Now all 12 of them have been detained. Okay, so it's, it's escalating. They're trying to get a little bit more involved here. But the dynamics are changing. You know, a group who used to be authoritative is now a little bit more walking on eggshells, concerned they're going to get stoned because of where the people are and what they're thinking and what's going down. And so things, they're they're changing for them, and that makes them nervous because they're losing some things. Now, the Sadducees are the group, or is the group, that's mentioned here. And um, they were starting to lose control. Oh, I'm sorry. They were starting to lose authority. They were starting to lose influence. And they did lose God's favor because where was God? He was resting on the apostles. And they had to feel that. They had to feel that all of a sudden, man, things are very different. And how we used to be has changed dramatically. What is going on here? And that can unsettle people a lot. (laughs) 
into the fact where they're doing some crazy stuff. Now, the obvious things, authority, influence, and God's favor, those are the obvious things. Then there's some potential things that could be lost to them as well. And that's where control, money, and political power come in. Because understanding who the Sadducees were, they were the dominant religious sect there. They were the controlling factors. They made sure they had it all They were locked down. They knew what was going on, when it was going on, how it was going on, with who it was going on. That's who they were. Uh, they controlled all religious life in Jerusalem, while the Pharisees controlled the rural areas. So the places that were kind of further out. But they were all kind of together, and they were the group that kind of locked things down to what was going down. Uh, they, the Sadducees were over the operation of the temple, which included all offerings, tithes, and money exchanges. And, you know, we have to remember, too, it's like back then, the church was very much the hub for record-keeping and what was going on and understanding things that were happening in the city, more so than it is now. You know, it's like we have that very distinct separation of church and government. But that was not the case. Uh, they had political power over civic life, which is it's, it's interesting to me, and it's like I forget this stuff. It's like there's so much stuff in the Bible, and you forget it all if you don't remind yourself. But they had their own police force, their own public jail, and their own court system. You know, the, the Sanhedrin was that group. And so it's like, you know, they were in control, but were they? See, all of a sudden, all this stuff was starting to crumble from beneath them, and they were becoming very unsettled, and they were getting very, very nervous as, at what was going down. Now, the Sadducees' theology, and this just gives me joy. It just gives me joy. Because, and it shouldn't, because it's unfortunate that this is what they believe. But in a minute, it'll make sense. The Sadducees did not believe in angels, did not believe in miracles, and did not believe in the resurrection. That was, that's what they, that's, that's, we don't know. That stuff, we don't. It's just that stuff, no, it's cuckoo crazy stuff, no. It's, I, they're probably the science group. I want to see it, I want to touch it, I want to be able to do it, who knows. But that's where they are. Now, for us, we know how important the resurrection is. Right? We have Easter <laughs> to celebrate it. Right? Romans tells us, you know, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the term for that is resurrection, <laughs> you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Pivotal aspect of Christianity. But the Sadducees, that was not their thing. But, this is what I love. So God, his deliverance to the twelve apostles, in jail, locked securely, with guards, what did he do? He sent an angel. <laughs> They're real. To perform a miracle. To tell the apostles to preach a resurrected Jesus to the people. You think God was trying to make a point here? So that's the thing. He can overcome any obstacle that we think is out there. And sometimes, uh, it's funny, my wife, she's teaching something, and there's one aspect that she, we, her and I have discussed, and just like, you know, God's arms, they're not like T-Rex arms. They're not like here. God can reach so much further than we understand to believe. And sometimes we give him T-Rex arms and think, oh, he can't 
you know, this is past him. No, it's not. No, it's not. We've got to understand his power, understand what he can do. So to say the least, the leaders were at odds with the apostles. Because in verse 29 it says, we ought to obey God rather than men. So some stuff was going down here. It was very unsettling. And so that brought a very notable deliberation. So travel on with me. Verse 33. So it says, when they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Oh, but you know what? There's one other element that I forgot to tell you. Back in 24, we had read there, it says, you know, they wondered what the outcome would be. Uh, there's one Greek word for that. Um, it's diaporeo, to be thoroughly nonplussed. Now, you all know what that means, right? I've never heard the word in my life. Nonplussed. What does that mean? You don't know how to add? I have no idea. No. <laughs> but to be nonplussed, and so this is, this is the mindset of where the Sadducees were at. To be surprised and confused, so much so, they did not know how to react. Now, to me, that's a bad translation. They wondered what would turn out. Now, to me, it's like, you know, it's like in modern terms, I would say, I have no words. I can't even think about what's going to go down here. That's the mindset of where the Sadducees, who were the leaders, who had it all locked down in Jerusalem were. And they were thoroughly nonplussed. I know, it's such a weird word. But anyway, that's the mindset. So that's where the deliberation comes from. So let's continue on here. Verse 33, when they heard this, they were furious. They plotted to kill them. Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people, and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, Take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Theudas rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. And they agreed with him. And when they called for the apostles and beaten them, they're getting a little stronger again. Before they were afraid to be stoned, but now they're in their own little group. It's like, hey, we're going to rain down on you. They commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Now, we've got to look at some of the players here because it's important. 
all of a sudden Gamaliel, okay, which is a Pharisee and which believes in angels and believes in miracles and believes in the resurrection, he comes into this midst and says, look, you've got to see what's going on. Now, from a Jewish perspective, Gamaliel was the grandson of Hillel. And you're like, big deal. <laughs> but it's like that would be kind of modern-day equivalent to like Billy Graham's grandson, well-known, well-honored, all that kind of stuff, held very, very high. Uh, he was a master of Jewish law. He understood everything of the Hebrew law, the Hebrew faith, the Hebrew culture. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Anybody else say that? Paul, exactly. Highly esteemed among his peers. Now, again, like I said, Pharisees, belief in angels, check. Belief in miracles, check. Belief in the resurrection, check. Belief that the law of Moses contained ambiguities that they strove to fix by developing rules and regulations for every possible human action in order to adhere to the will of God as outlined in the Torah, check. <laughs> they were detailed people. <laughs> they liked the rules. That's who they were. From a Christian perspective, Gamaliel is best known for the, being the rabbi and chief mentor of Saul, which you already, a.k.a. Paul. Uh, and Gamaliel possessed a level-headed level approach and voice of wisdom. Now, there's an interesting fact here, and I'm including it just because it's interesting. Uh, it's tradition, Jewish tradition. It's not biblical. There's, it's, again, it's traditional. But... It was thought that Gamaliel, this Gamaliel, interacted with Jesus at age 12 when he was lost in Jerusalem and found in the temple talking to the teachers and leaders. And so it, there's an interesting connection there. I find it interesting. Luke, you know, notes it in uh, Luke 2.46, but it's just kind of like, it, it's interesting how the Lord knows what's going down and who to put where and why and how. So, this notable deliberation. Now, interestingly enough, the apostles aren't even allowed in the room. They were put out. They were put outside for a while. So they can't really even speak to anything here. They're at the mercy of whatever goes down. Do you ever feel that way? <laughs> it's like, I'm on the outside looking in, and it's like, I don't know what's going to happen here. But see, God is in control. We've got to see and understand his sovereignty. We can rest in him. We can rest in his truth. We can rest in his principles. And that's where that kind of peace that passes all understanding comes in. It's like, God is in control. And it's not just blind. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, so I'm not going to go any further there. But there was some empirical evidence presented reflecting the work of men. Theodos came to nothing. It was all his work. It was all what he was doing. Judas of Galilee, he perished. The people dispersed, came to nothing. But something is different here because God was prevailing here. And I think Gamaliel noticed that. And that's why he says in verse 38, you know, if this is of men, it's going to come to nothing. But if it's of God, you're fighting against the Lord here. And you will not stop it. No one will overcome it. We've got to believe that. <laughs> we, 
We've got to believe that because it's like, I don't know about you, but there are days and weeks and months and years that it feels like, are we going to become extinct as believers? You know, we've got some stuff going on across the ocean that's happening. But it's like, we know. (laughs) The Israeli people don't go away. That's what it says. That's what I believe. So there's going to be wars, there's going to be fights, there's going to be craziness. But I know what God says. I know what's going to happen. And that gives me confidence. I don't know how it's all going to work out. And I'm sure that's how this group was. They didn't know how it was all going to work out here. But think about it. I mean, it's like, and we've got to almost vicariously live through these guys because it's like they saw it all go down. They saw miracles. They saw healing. They saw Christ crucified and risen again. We've got to live vicariously through them and trust that, yes, this stuff is truth. This stuff is happening. This stuff happened. And it still is in force today. God is in control. The breath we breathe, the breath in our lungs, he provides. He's going to take care of, you know, we're called his children. He's going to take care of his children better than any earthly parent can. Far better. Consensus was attained in verse 40. Beat them. <laughs> well, that can't be fun. But it's like they wanted to drive their point home. They didn't want them to talk about this man. They wanted him to change their words. And they were going to drive their point home. They ordered them to cease speaking in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go to see what would happen. In the apostles' response in verse 41 here. So cool. They departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Rejoicing after a beating. Not common. But what happened? They were obeying the message of the Lord to not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Now, I have a quick caveat to mention here. Because someone could walk away from this and think, you know, I'm not listening to the government. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. And kind of go off on some crazy tangent. And we know those people. Some of them may even be in our families. (laughs) Whatever. But our response to those in authority over us, our stance needs to be honor and adherence to authority because it is God-ordained. And you're like, these crazy people couldn't be God-ordained. <laughs> but they are. It, it, you know, it, they are. And so, you know, first of all, we're to obey those in authority over us, government, bosses, teachers, parents, etc., if they have authority over us, we're to be obedient. Now, there's some also, there's some things there, but, you know, but I don't like them. Well, that doesn't mean you don't obey. 
but I don't agree with them. Well, that doesn't mean that we don't obey. Uh, we're instructed to be subject to those over us. And in fact, it says, you know, in the scripture that we read, that honor the emperor. Does anybody know who the emperor was when that was written? Nero. Oh, good job, guys. Nero. Do we know how cuckoo crazy Nero was? Very. Very. In fact, he was noted for being murderous, out of control, and barbaric. Yet God says, honor the emperor. See, that's why we've got to trust he is in so much control, even when things look perilous, even when things look completely out of control. He is in control. And we can trust him. We are to pray for those in authority. And it's, as I age, (laughs) the power of prayer astounds me. And and it changes me as a person. It changes how I look at things. It changes how I want to try to control things. And it, it really brings me to this humility to lay it all at God's feet and to trust him to work and to be open to his will far, far more. And it's a challenging place. I mean, men don't go there really quickly. We are very controlling. We like to like know what's going to go down so we can be ready. We're also to understand that there are limits to be considered when it comes to this. Um, obedience is neither blind nor absolute. It should be informed obedience. Okay, and that's what the word teaches. Um, if an authority requires me to do what God prohibits or prohibits me from doing what God commands, then I must obey God without question. God is the ultimate authority. And even the governmental authority that he places over us, he is over that. And so that's where the informed obedience comes into play here. Because it's all about listening to him. Walking in truth there. Uh, When our lives reflect Jesus, we are going to experience some opposition. Dare I say suffering. When we speak out for biblical principles, we are going to experience suffering. Some opposition, dare I say, suffering. Um, But what I believe makes it worthy to suffer for his name is understanding how he suffered to provide for me, to provide for each one of us a salvation that is unbelievable. Christ stood strong to complete the work the Father had given him. We too are called to be witnesses wherever our feet take us. Acts 1.8 is for us today. It's for us too. Um, as I was kind of coming to a close here, if you're old hymn people, you'll probably remember this. Um, but there was a song called It Will Be Worth It All. And um, I tried to find a good YouTube version of it, but that did not work. <laughs> so I will read the words to you. <laughs> Often the day seems long, our trials hard to bear. We're tempted to complain, to murmur, and despair. But Christ will soon appear to catch his bride away, all tears forever over in in God's eternal day. And then the chorus. It will be worth it all 
when we see Jesus. Life, life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. And if you know that song, you'll be singing it all week, because that's what I've been doing. <laughs> Final thought in the last minute. Hallelujah. Look at me go. The book of Acts, okay, and this is R.C. Stedman. It's a quote from him. The book of Acts is a book of history of fast-moving events of transition designed to stir the church up, encourage us, bless us, and to show us what God intends to do through the church. So I ask, what notable things are happening in your life that will provide the opportunity to be a witness for Christ? What do you deem worthy to suffer for? Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your word, so grateful for the good, the bad, and the ugly that it contains, Lord. Uh, this life is messy. But Lord, you provide sense in all of this craziness. You provide clarity and understanding and a way to navigate this life in a way that helps so greatly. Lord, we pray that as we consider what went down in the, the apostles' lives here and we consider just all that was taking place, that we will stand strong in your truth, that we will hold fast to your principles, that we will live in such a way that you are seen in our lives, that it is attractive, that it draws people to you. Uh, Lord, we just honor you this morning. We're so grateful for the encouragement to know that you are in control, even when the circumstances around us seem so out of control, even when we are in situations sometimes where we feel beaten and we feel overwhelmed but we can trust that you will use it for your glory, for our good, and that you can make beauty from ashes. And how grateful I am for that gift. And it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Well, I pray you guys have an amazing week.